Good morning. Uh, this Christmas, we're exploring a, a title uh, for Jesus. It's found in Isaiah 11, and it's the root of Jesse. Uh, it's the verse that says that, that from the stump of Jesse, there'll come a branch, and that branch will do, will change everything, will bring salvation to, to mankind. And so this morning, we want to look at Matthew chapter 1. Uh, which contains a genealogy. You know, we, uh, we're we not big on genealogy. We've kind of gotten uh, lately into, like, finding out where you're from. We've got blood tests now. You can mail it off, and they'll tell you what percent and uh, came from where. And, and But a lot of times, if you go past our great-grandparents, we can't really tell you who our great-great-grandparents. We sure can't tell you who our great-great-great-grandparents were. Uh, we just don't really think in those kind of terms. But in, in Bible times, it was very important to know where you were from, uh, know your line, especially when it dealt with royalty and things of that nature, and uh, especially in talking about Jesus, because the prophecies of Jesus said very specific things about the fact that uh, Jesus would establish the throne of David. And so it was very important that you that they could established that Jesus did come through that 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 line to establish the prophecies that were made about Christ of being that root uh, from the stump of that branch from the stump of Jesse you know oftentimes in telling the birth story of Jesus especially in Matthew we skip the genealogy we don't really really know what to do with it and this morning I want to just take some time and explore this genealogy, because I think there are some fascinating and amazing things that we can learn uh, from Matthew chapter 1 and these names that are presented here. We've got um, a little less than 50 uh, biblical names that I'll be pronouncing. What could possibly go wrong, right? Um, I will say this, that my pronunciation of these names will be absolutely perfect in my own mind. So uh, we're going to do the best we can here and, uh, and read about this important genealogy of Christ that really reveals some amazing things uh, for us this Christmas. Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, and the time of 
deportation to Babylon. And after the de- deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah, Je- Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abuid, and Abuid the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azer, and Azer the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of uh, Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. I hope you are listening because I do not want to read that twice. All right. So what can we learn from, from a list of names like that? I would put forth a great deal, actually. And, and so I want to put forth four great things that this reveals about the Christmas story and about Christ's family tree. Christ's family tree first shows that God takes his time in fulfilling his promises. In, the, in verse 2, we have the, the first name mentioned here is Abraham. And we know that, that to Abraham was made the Abrahamic covenant. Um, Abraham was, made, at the first onset, was not necessarily a godly man. In fact, Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3, actually tells us that Abraham and his father and, 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 and their family really worshiped false gods. Uh, before God grabbed a hold of Abraham's heart. And so God grabbed a a hold of this man, Abraham, and decided that he was going to do some amazing things. He was going to change the world by creating this nation out of Abraham. And so in Genesis chapter uh, 1, or I'm sorry, chapter 12, verses 1 or 2 and 3, it says this, (laughs) And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And, and so we know that through this Abrahamic covenant, the, way, the ultimate way that the families of the earth would be blessed would be this, this one person. Yes, Abraham would, would turn into a great nation, but all of the nations would be blessed through that one person who would be the Christ that would bless all of the nations not just Israel we we have this promise made and then we have have thousands of years go by years of of terrible sin uh, captivity just great huge seasons of hopelessness there were bad kings and and there were some a few good kings uh, we have Malachi, he's kind of the last one that speaks up and, and, and makes the promises that, hey, it's really going to happen. And after he says it's really going to happen, there are 400 years of silence, of nothing, of no word, of no reiteration of the promise, just absolute silence. And then as the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it, that I just love the way it says it, as silent as snow falling, he came in. Except for a few shepherds, no one knew that, that everything had changed. No one knew that that silence and that wait was finally over. No one knew that, that Abraham's covenant had been fulfilled that very night. We, we live in a world where we want things fast, right? Right? Like, if we do not have fast Wi-Fi, 
it drives us crazy. Like we go into withdrawals. I can't, I can't do this. It's taken more than five seconds for this Facebook page, page to download. I can't, I can't live this way. And we want our food fast, man. We want to hit that drive through and we want our order right, and we want it in seconds, and we want to uh, be able to take off and, and go eat our food. We want things absolutely as fast as possible. You know, that's one of the, the hardest things in the counseling side of my ministry is dealing with people that they want spiritual things fast. You know, they come and, and they say, hey, my life's not what it needs to be. I need to make some changes. And then and they come back after one week and, and they're like, I've been reading my Bible. I've been trying to make some good choices this week. And, and man, God hadn't really changed anything. You want to say, it's been a week. It's been a week. And people come and, and man, their marriage is in turmoil because of, of years of neglect and doing things the wrong way and they come and and after a week they, they they've prayed every day and so they're like I prayed every day and and my my wife still doesn't like me like what's the deal it's been a week you spent years messing up your marriage and you think just because you you make some righteous choices that God's just going to come instantly in one week and just fix everything and make everything a paradise If God takes thousands of years to fulfill the most important promise that he ever made, the most substantial promise he ever made, don't you think you need to give him more than 15 minutes to work in your life and just be patient? And yes, the scripture says that when we draw close to him, he draws close to, to us. But that may be talking about a little longer than 15 minutes of drawing close to him. We see here just generations go by waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do what He's going to do. We need to realize, and, and when we look at Scripture, we see when, when the Scripture talks of spiritual things, it speaks of it much more in, in uh, agricultural terms, of fruit, of, of, of where your root is, of, of how seeds are planted in your life. And, and man, we... we we're not in an agricultural world, you know, unless you have a little garden, you may understand that it takes time. When it comes to our spiritual lives, it takes, it takes time. It takes sowing and doing the work to, to yield great fruit of God's blessings. God's just always been a God that takes his time. And we don't like that. And we're not made for that in this, in this day and age. But yet it's how he works. You may be living in doubt. You may have, man, you've, you've given up a long time ago, but his promises are true. That's what the people of Israel learned is that, yeah, it takes time. And, man, there were moments they forgot about it. They just absolutely forgot. Hey, this ain't happening. It's been thousands of years since that promise come. It still didn't happen. And then they, it led them to do horrible sin and to neglect God. But he will do for us all that he has promised. Just maybe not on our time frame. God will keep all of his promises through Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. 
He can be trusted. Even when it takes thousands of years for God to unfurl His plan, His his promises will always end in yes. Secondly, we see that Christ's family tree shows that, uh, that the only hope for mankind is Christ's eternal kingship. We see lots of kings uh, um, mentioned in this genealogy. Uh, 1 Samuel 8, we, we, uh, we see this instance where Israel essentially doesn't want God as their king. They want an earthly king. They want, they want what all the other nations have. God, you're not good enough, so we want a king. And we see that, that the kingship of Israel just most of the time was, was not a good Thing for them we see in this genealogy we see good the good the bad and the uh, downright ugly when it comes to kings we see this revolving door of kings and let's look at some of them Jeho- uh, Jehoshaphat was good but he was a bad father that arranged his son to marry a pagan <coughs> we have Joram, who was a murderer that mur- murdered his brothers, not, not a great guy. Uh, we have uh, Uzziah, who was uh, a politician that was just absolutely full of pride. He was struck with leprosy because of his great pride. Uh, Joth- Jotham was a godly king that the people absolutely ignored. Ahaz not a great guy, sacrificed his son to a pagan god. Hezekiah was a great godly king. There were, there were some great men who, who ruled over Israel, and, and Hezekiah was one of them. Manasseh was bad at first, but then he turned out to be uh, a pretty good king. Uh, Amos, bad king. Josiah was a great, great godly man. Uh, and the people just did not follow his suit they just continued in their rebellion who cares if we have a great godly king we're going to be in rebellion even when a good godly king uh if you look at this line it kind of seems like the pattern even when a good godly king would step up he'd have a terrible son uh that would just take the people and lead them right back uh into pagan worship we have david's throne and uh talks about in verse six uh even uh even as special as David's reign was uh, with his heart for God, the people continued to uh, continued in their sins, continued in the consequences. And we see that earthly powers cannot redeem man. Politicians, they can't change people's hearts, right? I mean, we kind of see this in our own world, like the, the, the people that rule, that the, the, the shouldn't be ruling, but the, the president, uh, you know, we, we think, hey, we've got to get our guy in there. And if we get our guy in there, man, things are going to be great for us. Things are going to be great for Christianity if we can get our guy in there. Then what happens is, you know, we have that guy for a little while, and then what happens is almost always the balance ends up shifting, and then we have a guy that we don't consider our guy in there that undoes a bunch of stuff, and then the next guy steps up, and he redoes some stuff that we like, and then the next guy steps up and undoes it, and it's just an endless cycle. And, and the reality is, is we, we always say, this, this is going to be, this is the biggest election ever. This is going to change everything about us. 
and usually it doesn't. Because the reality is, is that these aren't, even if we had the best president we could possibly ever imagine, he's going to die. He's going to die. And in America, his term's going to run up anyway before he dies. What we needed was, was a king, that, and what Israel needed was a king that, that was eternal, that could, that could establish itself above all politicians, all earthly kings. We see in Isaiah 9, it talks about this. For to us a child is born, for us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his, of, the, of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and, and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so, and what that verse says is, it's, it's going to be a kingdom forever. That, that Christ is, that's our hope. It's not earthly presidents. It's not earthly politicians. We've just, we've seen, we should know by now that they can't bring us hope. What we are waiting for is a king who will establish a, a reign of righteousness that there will be no end to. That's our great hope is, is the king that will never end, that will set up David's throne for all of eternity. You see in Christ's family tree, it shows that, that, that he breaks the cycle of sin. You know, it, it's, it's striking when you look at this family tree because it's not very clean. It's a very, very crooked family tree. You would think, if man, if we're going to deal with, with, the, with the coming Messiah, man, let's really gloss over the people that are that are, have led to his birth and, and his his uh, his uh, ancestors, and we see that it doesn't do this at all. We see Abraham in the line. Of course, he he was originally a pagan, and even after uh, even after following God, he tried to give his wife away and uh, to a foreign king. And Judah and Tamar. Uh, were involved or mentioned in this genealogy who were involved in an incestuous relationship. Rahab is mentioned in this line that's not even a Jew and beyond that was a prostitute. We see we, in Joshua chapter 2 verse 11 she helped uh, the spies of Israel and, and said, For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. And so she acknowledge God and uh, in, we turn to Hebrews 11 we actually find her in the hall of fame a prostitute we find in the hall of faith because she repented she was forgiven it's really interesting here that it mentions David and the wife of Uriah like why not just call her Bathsheba and kind of hide that whole adultery situation that went on but no it, call, it says David and it, it, it mentions the wife of Uriah, the very man that David murdered. This is not a pure genealogy by any stretch of the imagination. This 
lineage is composed of, of men and women, of adulterers, of prostitutes, of heroes, of, and of Gentiles. And, and, and Jesus is the Savior of all. There, there are people in this genealogy that, that we would write off like the last check of a student loan. Just write someone off, and, and yet we find them in this precious genealogy of Jesus. Despite their great sin, many of them found redemption. And the only way that God was able to pass over their sins and ours is that one would come from their line. That, as Romans 3.25 uh, talks about Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith this was to show god's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins and the shadow of of the cross fell across every sin mentioned in this genealogy every or every every person's sin who's mentioned in this genealogy every uh sin that's mentioned in the old testament the shadow of, of the coming Savior's cross fell across those sins. The same reason that Rahab and David and Abraham had hope for their sin is the same reason we have hope for ours. The, the hope of Abraham and Rahab and David and Bathsheba was that, that Christ was going to come and die in their place. It was going to receive the punishment that should have been poured out on them the instant they sinned. We see that they, they had the hope in the coming Messiah that would be coming through their line. Just like we look back and we, we hope in the Messiah who came. We serve a Christ who, who breaks the, the power of sin, of a, of a genealogy full of sinners that found forgiveness because of Christ. We see in Christ's family tree that it shows that, that He entered into man's suffering. It's not once upon a time. It's a very specific time that He came into our world. And he came into, in, in, into a line of, of, of suffering. One, that, uh, the, one of my favorite Old Testament stories because of, of how important it is is the suffering of Naomi and Ruth. That are, that are both mentioned in this genealogy. Uh, to, to make a long story short, Naomi, uh, because of a horrible drought in her land, uh, had to move in, into land she didn't know. Her whole family had to pick up and move, and, and they go into this land. It wasn't home. It wasn't where they belonged. She loses her husband. And then she loses her two sons. And then one of her uh, daughter-in-law abandons her and, and says, hey, I'm going to go back to my people. And Ruth says, I'm going to stick by you. And Naomi was so, so bitter in that moment. I mean, she had lost her, her husband, her two sons. In fact, it says that she wanted to change her name to bitter, to mean bitter, because she essentially said, God's against me. God hates me all he does is mistreat me and so then as ruth uh as the book of ruth unfolds we see this 
beautiful love story unfold with Naomi and Boaz. And, and, this, and, and, and Ruth, who stuck by her side, said, your God will be my God and your people my people. And then and this great love story happens. And you know, what, you know what, how it ends? It ends with a baby and a, a grandbaby in, in Ruth's, uh, in, in Naomi's lap. And everyone, all of her friends are gathered around saying, look how good God's been to you. Look how good God's been to you that, that, that he's given you this, this kingsman redeemer and, and brought this grandson to you. Y'all, that grandson was the father of Jesse. He was the father of David. The most important people of the Old Testament. So I, I just love when you think about this and in the moment of that great suffering that, that you can't imagine. I mean, I can't imagine losing all that all at once. And God was using that, that horrible suffering to establish the line that would lead to David, who would eventually lead to Christ. And sometimes we can't see the big picture. We, we look at our suffering and and we think, what is God doing? Well, He's doing amazing things that we can't even begin to comprehend. And we know that Christ not only wrote suffering and, and, and wrote these stories of suffering for these people in this line, we know that He wrote, he wrote Himself into the story as Christ. You know, like... That's a power that most storytellers can't tell since God's telling a real story. And he writes himself into the story. And he could have wrote himself into the story in any way he wanted. He could have wrote himself in the story known for his good looks or his power, or, uh, all the joy, all the things he enjoyed on this earth. And, and he could have wrote himself as, as someone who floated above it all. And he could have wrote himself however he wanted to write it because he is the author of the story. And what did he do? He wrote himself directly into the suffering of his people. That he was someone who, who didn't have a place to lay his head. He was known as the suffering servant, as one who would lay down his life and, and be massacred. As the one who, who would endure the separation of the Trinity as, as God had to forsake the Son because His Son bore our sins. And that's what God didn't just, God just didn't write suffering into our story. He wrote Himself directly into the suffering for our salvation. Isaiah 53 says, He was despised and dejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. In his suffering, he redeemed us. He saved us. So I want us to, to think as we end this morning, as it's Christmas time is so fastly approaching. Have you given up on God's promises? Is his silence deafening? 
It's Christmas. The child of promise was born right when he was supposed to be. And that, that night in Bethlehem when light broke in, so will light break into your world. If you don't give up, if you continue to hold on to the promises of God, continue to pursue Him and love Him, and I promise you He will honor all that He said that He would honor. Have you, like Israel, tried everything in the world to try to be free, only to find that it was powerless? You look, you've looked in all these earthly places to try to find some satisfaction in something that would change your life. And that Jesus is the only one that can do that. He is the King eternal. And of His rule there will be no end. Has sin so entrapped you that, that you feel worthless and that everyone has written you off? Turn to the one who died so that prostitutes could be turned into worshipers and established in the line of the Savior. It's Christmas. God, it's, it's God, it's the season of God in the manure. It's God in the manure. It doesn't matter where you are, the sin that's in your life, there's grace for you, there's, there's love for you through what Christ so graciously did. Repent and turn to the one who makes all things new. Are you suffering? Are you in a season of great suffering? Turn to the one who entered into the story and suffered right along with us. And I believe Christ suffered more than any person that's ever lived. He did that so that He might be acquainted with our suffering, that we might be able to turn to Him in our moments of suffering. We may seek grace in time of need. As our musicians come, I just want to conclude with the lyrics. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to sing. I'm going to quote. Um, of O Savior of our fallen race. It's just a hymn that uh, I've really enjoyed in recent years. O Savior of our fallen race, O brightness of the Father's face, O Son who shared the Father's might before the world knew day or night, O Jesus, very light of light, our constant star in sin's deep night, now hear the prayers your people pray throughout the world this holy day. Remember, Lord, of life and grace how once to save our fallen race, you put our human vesture on and came to us as Mary's son. Today, as year by year its light bathes all the world in radiant bright, one precious truth outshines the sun. Salvation, salvation comes from you alone. For from the Father's throne you came, his banished children to reclaim, and earth and sea and sky reveal the love of Him who sent you here. And we are jubilant today, for you have washed your guilt away. Oh, hear the glad new song we sing on this, the birthday of our King. Oh, Christ, Redeemer, Virgin-born, let songs of praise your name adorn, whom with the Father we adore, and Holy Spirit evermore. Alleluia.
Please stand and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for what you teach us, even in lists of names. In those lists of names, we see a Savior who came to save real people, real sinners that, that, that had to wait. God, this Christmas season, help us to be those who are waiting well, God. Those who are waiting on your glorious appearing and and for your promises to be fully fulfilled as Christ comes again. God, move in our hearts this morning as we allow, God, as we ask that you would work in our hearts through this word. In Jesus' name I pray.